Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure of the Kings and the Quest Gorgareth. In the last episode of the show, as everybody here remembers so clearly, uh, our party had a rough run-in with... Uh, well, actually, I, I think the real rough run-in was for all those metal dudes, the Iron Maelstrom, who were left behind in that little halfling village there on the side of the hill, because I feel like Norhill and Klika alone wrecked 10 in two rounds, maybe. And including that poor little child one that came out, the little, little mini halfling one. But anyway, that's not really important. What's important is the Herald of Steel apparently uh, has aspirations for peace and to unite all peoples. Uh, Anton doesn't really see it that way, nor does pretty much anybody else except for Jarzak, who has a soft spot for uniting peoples with great power. Um, but the uh, party, after bidding him adieu and watching him walk off into the sunset like a too, too cool guy, uh, hurried back on home to Enton to speak with the council about what they had found out. And when they got to the council, they found out instead that that strange metal block, the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Schrodinger's block, as it has been come to be known as the uh, block that exists when we need it and doesn't when we don't. That metal block that can open up the portal to the land of immortals. I don't like that that rhymes. Uh, found out that the only way to superheat the metal is to use some sort of arcane, like primordial heat, something that could be brought on by, well, I don't know, maybe an ancient red worms fire, maybe like the kind that you could find on an island in Gorgareth, which uh, the gnomes uh, and the halflings of the council were very happy about because clearly Jarzak has an in with those people. And thus this would probably be pretty easy to be able to pull off a little vacation to Gorgareth, find the flame. And yeah, Unfortunately, hellfire flame like that is probably a little bit too strong for most mortals to be able to withstand, let alone a group of level eights. And so for that reason, the halflings and the gnomes here in the council are excited to tell you that there is a potion you could make to make you immune to fire for a short while so that we can melt the thing, put it in the mold, bring the thingy back, open the portal, go to the land of the immortals, and I don't know, I guess be back in time for tea. Uh, unfortunately, however, as the council tells you, creating such a potion is going to require a very particular bit of alchemical supplies. For the people who brought you the rusty dragon Tartharja, the Gnomish council tell you now that to make such a potion, 
as to withstand the hellfire of a dragon's breath so that you can melt this block. Uh, you're going to need a white dragon or a silver dragon. You're going to maybe, maybe, maybe need to get some blood and essence from them. It's not going to be easy, they suggest. But they're hoping, in your worldly knowledge, that you might know of a white dragon somewhere to be able to pull this off. Tell me that dragon's still at Bullscrag Peak. We're in the vicinity. It's been it's been some time. Yeah, I think it's it might have moved up. So at this point, we're actually really like in live I action. Yeah, so, I mean, Boltzcrack, uh, yeah, he probably laughed, so, like, there's no hope to make this potion. But are dragons normally nomadic? Or do you think he may have found no. this? Not at all. Quite the opposite. Reclusive bastards. I think, I think white dragons, if I remember correctly, uh, travel a lot. There's a lot of irony here, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. We'll deal with it when we get there. Have we inadvertently kicked this dragon out of like three homes? <laughs> <laughs> and then a timeshare and bone break. Island's just on fire now. The fire from the tavern spread everywhere. <laughs> and the uh, white dragon's like... Now it turns out when the, uh, her, her, when the deceiver was fighting that Eldritch Horror, it just dragged it on the land and destroyed the whole island. Just finally just lands there and it just sees them two going at it. And it was like, well, fuck. This used to be such a nice beach. Look at the vagrants beating each other up on the beach. All right, well. So, again, they suggest, their intel suggests that they've heard word of a white dragon in the mountains to the north, the Keratos Mountains, but they say as of late, they haven't heard much of anything and said that the last tales that they had heard of the beast, that it was very angrily flying around and some say there is just, it's gone. But um, at this point, uh, either that or it's just kind of retreated to its lair. They suggest that the best source of information you could get would probably be to go to Goggle Glint right outside of the mountain. It's like the one most viable source of information where you guys were just short a while ago. Um, instead, they could call for couriers if that'd be easier for you guys, or you could travel there yourselves. Well, if they could send word ahead of us, that would be great. Uh, but we're probably going to need to travel that way regardless. Fair enough. And so, okay. Um, so are you suggesting you want to have sort of like a, a welcoming party waiting for you at Goggle Glint with information? Or are you saying that you want what? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, send, send the couriers out ahead of us so that they can start gathering information and have something by the time we get there. Okay. Does everybody else agree with this? Why not? Yep. Yeah. Easy peasy. So with that, uh, the party spend the night of rest at the usual spot in the tavern amongst the wrestling dwarves as well as Oh, Igalith and the gang. Uh, was there anything you guys wanted to do now that you're back in town? 
Mm, I'm trying to think if I have to buy anything. I think Anton might actually need some rations. But no, he can make food. He's he's a cleric. Why is he going to do that? <laughs> no, he's still going to buy Buying some. rations doesn't constitute spell slots. Exactly. True. I'm just trying to check if he needs to really buy anything else. And then I might need to buy... Can I buy holy water? Or is that not really a thing? No, you can definitely buy holy water. I think you're allowed to make holy water, too. See, you should be able oh, to I make can't. holy water. I think there's a spell for that. Ceremony, yeah. It's a first level spell. Well, shit. Maybe I'll do that instead. But I think, I def- I think do you I'll know get... how much you're allowed to make with it? No. Do you know how much water you're allowed to make with ceremony? No clue. Let me look. So, I mean, we can just say in the meantime that you uh, stop by to buy some rations for the group, if that makes sense. Uh, let's see. One vial with a casting time of one hour and a material component of 25 gold pieces worth of powdered silver. So, I mean, luckily you're in a town full of alchemists, so if you'd like to, you can make like four or five vials of it yourself. And it's a ritual, too, if you don't want to spend spell slots. You can also uh, have people get married or atone people who have done wrong or uh, officiate funerals. I dearly love that spell, though. It really mm-hmm. makes the cleric feel like an actual cleric. But um, would Anton like to procure the... Uh... What? Should I start doing some civil duties? I mean, if anybody would, it feels like it'd be him, but it sounds like you guys are going to be leaving in the morning, sending a courier yeah. at night. Yeah, you're so, right. So if you'd like to, though, you could procure the, the powdered silver um, from the town, and then you could make it on your trip there. The only problem is I don't, I'm not really much for having funds. <laughs> so, Interesting way of I saying that you're poor. This. I think in reality I can only get <laughs> rations and that's it. Let's see. Uh, Forecastings would be 100 gold pieces worth of material component. Yeah, Anton has like 16 Assuming. gold to his have, name. Have 10 platinum pieces. Help some nice sport. <laughs> uh, how far away is Gobble Glen? If, if I can uh, do Gobble... that. You what? I'll, if if Norhill's really willing to get the platinum, he's very appreciative of it. Yeah, it's not like Norhill's spending it on anything. Dude, that's Did what I, happens when rash? you when you invest <laughs> instead of giving away your money. <laughs> You're always... Norhill's just got some freaking Bitcoin going on right now. Really uh, watching them stonks too. How much um, are going to the moon? Sorry. But uh, if you if you actually are going to get the powdered silver for this um, in the early morning, you can send out for some. And once they hear that the holy man of Glory Wake is asking for these materials to bless water for his holy journey on his quest, uh, for the price that you're paying, you get five uh, po- five vials worth. So they throw in an extra one for you, knowing your cause is true and virtuous. That and they That's also so feel bad kind. about that dragon. That's so kind of them. They appreciate it. I'm um, gonna make. I'll make them food if they need it. <laughs> give them a ham sandwich in return. Yeah. Like, hey, I know. I know. Gotta That's give them all the bread and like muffins. Some like this is gonna be stale literally overnight. Like, what? Do you, why would you give us this? This is garbage. Can you think of the rats? Oh, what God. did you do this for? 
So just uh, how just much were rations again, man? Uh, rations for the party. It, how many are you trying to get? Like ten rations, twenty rations? What's the deal? Uh, how far away is uh, Goggle Glen? Traveling um, in a carriage, uh, as I picture you guys are probably going to be doing something like that um, with horses. Uh, it looks like what's going to happen is you guys are going to be traveling. Let's see, from Enton, about two days. I want ten rations. This is hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for 10 rations, they're definitely not going to be sticklers about it. 10 rations uh, from the local outfitter shop, the local uh, traveling goods store. When they hear that it's going to you guys and your cause, it's utterly on the house. Oh, that's really kind of them. Oh, my God. I mean, you guys, for what it's worth, for the personal okay. servants and couriers that you guys have sent out to go gather all the stuff, the little fat dwarven children running out in the road trying to go grab stuff with piles of cash um you guys are uh definitely but, but anyway our our fun little uh chubby dwarves running around with sacks of cash just running all around the town gathering food and all this stuff in your name you guys get the impression when the children come back all kinds of excited and giggly and hearing sort of like the grim tone that you guys return from like shopkeeps and stuff like that, getting the supplies, the carts, the horses and everything ready. Like people around here are more than happy to give you everything you need. And it's not a matter of being like, you guys have done so much for the community. We owe you one. They're like, you may be our only hope. We see this impending from all sides. Here, you fat little child, bring back like 50 pounds of bread and dried meats. Like, just for the love of God, tell them to hurry wherever they're going. So as much as, you know, Anton's like happy and grateful and feeling blessed for having such kind allies as the, the Dale folk here. Um, yeah, the, the quarry folk are not happy to be where they are and realize that they may be the last ba bastion of safety on the continent. And so, yeah. Kind of a double-edged sword. But anyway, with that, the uh, party, unless there's anything else they had to do, are able to hit the carriage and go for a quick ride. Was there anything you guys wanted to do otherwise? Mm. Yeah? The time we have, I don't think so. Mm. Gentle grumblings here. Okay. We're good. Um, and so I am going to ask everybody to do a quick uh, improv role play on our wonderful two-day breakneck speed carriage ride as our reinforced carriage being pulled by what seems to be a sled team of dogs, all big beefy mastiffs looking like together a group of 12 of them, like Santa's fucking reindeer here, are just pulling a sleigh of adventurers. Uh, you guys on your travels in the early spring find yourself in typical situations where you'd be getting stuck, but in opportunities where you guys would get stuck traveling through the swampy bogs and terribly muddy conditions, the gnomish driver and the guy who rides shotgun here slap some like skis onto the wheels of the carriage and give the dogs like hooked like dog boots so that they can just like slick their way through the over overgrown uh, and, and muddy, like watery roads here. This group is made for speed. And as you guys are just gliding through slick puddles and stuff like that, through the swamps, um, every once in a while you pass like uh, those outriders, the doggy riders there, you pass by them every once in a while on the sides of the road and sort of just keeping track of what's happening on the road. 
But uh, as you head farther and farther to the west over to the mountains of the Karatos here, and where you can see a mega stone structure built into a cliff face, which must be Goggle Glen, as there's tons of like buttresses of stone just jutting out from different parts with like mechanical zip lines kind of connecting different parts out here where you can see like boxes and barrels being slid across. My question for you guys is, what would be the uh, traveling improv on this two-day trek out? I know... I know Anton is spending a lot of time praying in the sunlight over the uh, vials here to make the uh, holy waters. Um, but was there anything else? Oh, what actually does that look like when you're making the holy water with the powdered silver, Anton? I'd say it looks like... I think he's... I feel like I picture him like figure like focusing on I don't know why I just keep imagining when don't don't sue us when Galadriel is keeps giving like has that nice little vial of light that he gives to Bruno I just imagine he's making nice little vials like that one by one but instead of a silvery glow there's something about the glow changes from like a silvery color to like a gold um yeah, like a little magic trick. He's spinning it and it changes color. Okay, so does this look more like alchemy or religious practice? Uh, I'd say it looks a little more like alchemy because it's more like he, he mixes it and then it's almost like he holds it up to the sun for like that effect. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, was there any like holy incantations that he says or is it pretty silent? I'm trying to think. I feel like he's definitely mumbling something. Something about like okay. sun rays, uh, sun drops. I don't know. Something about suck, sucking up the sun. <laughs> Here comes in the, the sun. Doo doo doo. I'm walking on sunshine. <laughs> so on and so forth. All right. So who else has got some improv to give me on our wonderfully slick, muddy adventure? As we go murdering with the boys. Zach's going to attempt to fish off the back. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's how fishing works. I know I'm no professional here. Uh, the mud's deep enough. We'll get some mud fish. I've heard of them. They're real. The hook catches deep on a rock and Jarzak falls off. Oh, no. Yeah, this thing's already cruising, so Jarzak gets left behind. And thus ends the tale of Jarzak. Well, you know, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> um, That's how he would have wanted to go. Uh, left yeah. behind in a mud puddle with a fishing uh, rod. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly... I can't really think of too many fates that Jarzak would have uh, preferred he just other than starts making uh, mud angels. Klika has a panic attack, face pressed against the window. Just, just la- <laughs> loud enough. <laughs> Klika, watch this. Swan dives off the back of the fucking carriage. I can't be stopped. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, uh, what about Klika Norhill? Uh, Norhill's going to try to like sketch out some battle plans for fighting a dragon 
Um, but the not knowing enough, he like discards all of the ones he comes up with. So he's just you know uh, uh, sitting inside the carriage, you know, uh, legs dangling because he's not quite tall enough for the seats. Uh, surrounded by like a couple dozen uh, scrunched up pieces of parchment. Parchment. That's kind of funny. I imagine like drawing like Trogdor on a piece of parchment and just drawing like the war pick going through its head and being like, "Die, Dargon, die." bad lizard it's just like different iterations of this every once in a while the crumpled up paper is uncrumpled so that clica can draw gigantic clicas next to the dragons I, I was gonna say every once in a while clica will pop over and just look like she's about to give some really good tactical advice I'm like clica should be a little bigger it's <laughs> not even in this picture clica these drawings are using- scale is, is anybody using the ink finger there? I think Anton holds on to it for the most part, doesn't he? I, I do, but if anyone like needed to use it, I don't think Anton will like tell him no. Yeah, I, I imagine that Norho would have asked for it because he doesn't keep uh, writing materials on him just in general. Yeah. But I also feel like Norhill would react like, like a, I don't know, like a sketch artist all of a sudden trying to use a tablet for the first time and just being like, I don't know. How do you, what, how do I change the, the, the width? How, how do I just spill in, ch- like just writing chalk on the paper like this? That Anton, Anton also doesn't know, just like lifts up his glasses as if he can see better without them. Like, did you unplug it and plug it back in? Try taking it off your finger and putting it back on. There's definitely a couple like small holes uh, poked in the parchment when he pressed too hard. Somehow Klika knows how to use it best and only uses it to draw Klikas, though. Yes. Very good. So what about Klika? What does she do on her trek? Uh, we're just sort of traveling in the carriage, right, for over two days, stopping for camp. Yeah, yeah just traveling through the swamps and marshes. Uh, I guess whenever... I think one of the nights that we're tr- we make camp we also make camp with a couple of the uh outriders you said we were passing and stuff um and clica will talk to them about like what they're doing and how things are going on their end and let them know about what happened uh when we went to repel the herald of steel and all that stuff, and then try and make, like, a nice dinner for everybody. Okay. I mean, for the most part, the Outriders are very grateful, and apparently words traveled fast about you guys being in their company, so they come to you guys asking stories and asking questions about, like, what you've done and all this stuff, and if if that story is true, and if this story is true, and yada, yada, yada. So, of the the true tales that they ask you about, they ask you guys about that hill giant dying, and the story is true that you guys helped kill it, but the false part is they suggest that Norhill felled it with one blow while the others watched. Apparently, they were very moved by Norhill for some reason during his era of not hitting and having worst initiative before he found the enchanted weapon, but yeah, and the other story that they ask you guys about um, was asking about the impromptu mass tomb and asking you guys if that actually happened or not. Yeah, I think we'll tell them that stuff. Always 
punctuating with Ankleiko was the tallest. <laughs> like, wait, you, you were talking about what you rode for mounts. Why does that have anything to do with anything? Uh, but what? when they when they do bring up the impromptu mass too, uh, I think Klika gets a little bit sullen. Just remembering that was like the first big time in Klika's life where she saw like that many people lose their lives that quickly to something like that that she had like no control over. But besides yeah. that. Kind of a kind of a moody little topic, I guess. Yeah. Um, you see, I that's I don't think that's how it played out though. Like that's where I got my first fishing lesson. That's very true, and that is where the fishing <laughs> lesson first happened. You're literally Charizak, like bumming on the shore. Charizak's on none of this <laughs> mass two business. <laughs> you survived it. You didn't just hang out on the shoreline, otherwise that person would be alive too. Wait a minute. Jarzak How did Jarzak survive so far it? Back. <laughs> but okay, either way. So once you guys arrive in Gogglewind, it, 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 in a weird way, this place almost reminds you of like the home of the Dismodu, the bat people there. Oh, I have the so name of like, that ranger that taught you to fish written down. Oh my god. Korea. I wonder how Jezor will never doing. forget her. The first love of my the second love of my life. The first love of my life was fishing. But well, the, no, the first love of Jarzak's life was the queen, and then yeah. fishing, and then Korea. Where does filth fall into this? That's my <laughs> question. Because he definitely fell for filth at one point. Uh that's, but, um, not, that's okay. not a love, that's a passion. It's different. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't understand. Um, but with that, uh, yeah, I would say Goggle Glen is in a lot of ways very similar to the Desmodu homeland where just like there's tons of hanging structures and a lot of jutting up structures. But because this place is built on a cliff face, the interesting like use of like elevators and like counterweights to sort of like they'd like drop a boulder off the side to lift an elevator. And as it does, it like counterbalances another one to launch another thing up. So it's, it's a giant set of like tinker toys and counterweights and pulleys pushing like prime physics to like their, their highest points, you know? Um, but from what you guys are given for information as you stay in what would seem to be, I don't want to say it's like a mayor. It's kind of like a baron who lives here, but basically you guys are able to stay in one of his sort of, I don't want to say like vacation homes here, but they give you a really nice place with a nice view over the, over the, um, over the mountain to the, uh, to the farther West over the Akaratos. And you can see pretty well into the center of the continent, uh, Sadly, however, you guys were given a room with a very good view of the spire made of giant metal corpses and everything. We don't need to talk about it, but you got a very good view of it out there. Um, but from what you guys hear as you stay here in the estate as a troop of uh, goggle glint gnomish rangers show up, a lot of the information they have to provide you apparently uh, comes from Boltscrag Peak when they went in to do some reconnaissance. And what they said was that... Um, there was apparently a strange golden beast that flew through the air. They never really got much of an opportunity to actually like speak with this creature, but from what they had known from the scholars who live here, 
that it must have been some sort of like a angelic being or some sort of celestial being. They assume it must have been like a Kirin or something, but from what they recall was that there was almost a second sun one morning where there was the sun rising in the south as it does and there was another like bright golden beam that sort of like had i I don't want to call it like an eclipse but it just sort of like had a sunburst right and once it did for the following day apparently the white dragon like took its leave and they had never heard anything more from it the problem that they had run into was they saw sort of like a mass movement of goblins from the mountain as well Hill goblins and goblins from the forest at the bottom of the mountain near the forest of the wandering uh, swordsmen, as well as bugbears and the like, and peaceful goblins that they've always kind of gotten along with. They haven't really crossed paths with them, but basically leading an exodus out of the mountain. Now, what's alarming is they followed the dragon's path, and the dragon seemed to be traveling south, southwest, heading on its way, what they assume, based on the ecology of the white dragon all the way down to the, uh, well, I guess the Dwarvish Mountains, right? Heading off to the Sunderspine Mountains. But based on the way that it was traveling um, past Dustwind and all that stuff, I mean, it seems like it was heading more towards like Aesiris and Thalvir, the Elvish lands. So this dragon was probably relocating. Why? Hard to tell. But from everybody who saw what happened, it seems like it's just a full mass exodus. Did you try and talk with any of the goblins about where they were going? And they said that they figured with the goblins moving in like a war party start a sort of like armed march after the dragon that nobody even like bothered to see with them. They only saw them from afar. But the uh, tribe of goblins, um, from what you guys get for information, just as like a general note, the uh, tribe of goblins, which I definitely have this right on deck. Why wouldn't Dan have this information right on deck? And especially, why would he need to stall? There's no reason for stalling. Um, but the tribe of goblins are known as the tribe Greystar. And from what you guys know, there is sort of like a high-ranking nobility uh, of bugbears. And then basically everybody else in the tribe are just hill goblins. So not creepy, spooky cave goblins. And not super sneaky alchemical like forest goblins, but hill goblins, nice meaty goblins, basically what Kleeka looks like. Um, but yeah, from what you guys know of the tribe, um, the chieftain is a bugbear lady named Remrotha. And they said that she was right in the front in her typical place, leading them, the entire armed band, in that direction. So, was there any other questions we had? Mm, and this was, yeah, you said this was oh, right around when the dragon left. So, how long ago was that? I guess to put the timeline together, when the key ring showed up, it was about two weeks after that. So at two weeks after you guys liberated Boltzcrag Peak. Which was how long ago from where we are? 
at this point, probably about 70 days or so, right? 60 or 70 days, 50, 60, somewhere around there. Okay. So they definitely had a good bit of time to settle down somewhere. But they kind of just figured with like war on the horizon and all that business being taken care of, seeing them move so far away from them and heading that far to the south, they didn't really see it as much of a thing to be alarmed with or worried about since they moved so far away. They just assumed it was for safety from the Herald of Steel and the Iron Maelstrom. So just because that side of the mountain is where they were living on and it's the side of the mountain facing Eagle Heart and all that. So they just figured it was probably a bit of conflict. But Having you guys here and asking so many questions, I mean, they offer to maybe gather more intel using the uh, fancy schmancy telescopes that they've had that they uh, used in the war effort. Apparently, at Bolts, Bolts Crag Peak, they've been able to put some of that stuff back into functional use. Granted, a lot of it's not very functional, but they're getting some rudimentary use out of it again. Um, so, us would be much appreciated. The only issue would be that you guys would have to stay here a couple more days. Would you like to stay here for a few more days while they gather the intel? Or would you like to head back? How long would it take a courier with the intel to get to us if we started heading back? About a day after they finish. But to get... Uh, going in the rough direction that the goblins and the dragon went, would we need to go back anyway? If you were trying to chase them all the way to the mountains, it would be very, very difficult for you to even figure out where they went. You know what I mean? They just said the general area that they went to, but that's like saying they went like up north or to like the New England. Like there's so much land there to have to cover that. I think we should wait here the couple of days for them to gather more information in that case. Um, can you tell us a bit about when the spire appeared and did you see people building it or how did it how did it come to be? They said that interestingly enough the talk about Boltzcrag Peak when they were calibrating the thing and trying to get it like all used, like set up to use the uh, delicate machinery again, they found it difficult on a certain couple of occasions because if there was any like seismic activity, it would throw off all the mechanics and everything like that. So they had interesting run-ins right when the spire was first really taking shape because earthquakes were happening over here or what they thought were earthquakes. But instead the spire just kind of like continued to just rumble and grow up from the ground. And every time they would take a good gander at it, it was just covered in more of these, like, I don't even know how to put it other than, like, ironized. Like, they just turned straight to metal, skeletal forms, and bodies just sort of, like, climbing farther and farther up, making the spire, like, just this giant pole. But, yeah, good stuff. So it happens periodically, but they've had, like, two major moments where it's just right out of the ground. Maybe, maybe it's not people. Maybe it's just, you know, iron-shaped people. Yeah. People-shaped iron? Very... That's the one. Oh, yeah, God. 
very efficient sculptor who happens to work very efficiently twice, and that's it. Like very quickly. Um, okay. So I suppose in the days that followed, you guys are treated to mushrooms, many, many mushrooms, mushroom beer, uh, mushroom steaks. There's fried mm. mushrooms, mushroom fries. Um, and it's it's pretty good, but again, it's kind of an acquired taste. They give you sort of like the sushi equivalent. Like people who hate sushi, what they think sushi is like, that's what these mushrooms are like. They're like the slimiest, most like melt in your mouth, like just like molten funguses. And they bring you to these things saying that like, this is a king's platter of like the hardest to find truffly little mushrooms. And uh, I imagine Norhill's uh, probably the only one. Well, yeah, no, I, it seems like a king's platter. This is great. I mean, oh, I wonderful figured... delicacy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I imagine Norhill and Klika might be the only two who could stomach this sort of thing. But then Klika really wasn't raised around goblins. So I don't think she even was raised with this kind of food to begin with, right? Jarzak so... has that effect that bad things yeah, taste good. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> if, if they roll... taste bad, then Jar they taste good to Jarzak. But if they just have a weird texture but taste good. Tell you what, Jarzak, why don't you roll me a knowledge of nature check? Uh, 16. uh, Okay, because the troop of gnomes that bring it to you guys are very well-trained chefs, and they bring you sort of like in in courses, but when they bring out like this like molten black mushroom that's kind of like cupped upwards, they bring it over to the whole party on a platter, and Jarzak is very well aware of this kind of mushroom. It's a very, very rare kind of mushroom. Um, And it, uh, going price for something like this, which can only be found in sort of like deep deep like old ancient septic wells where like the fungus that was once taking care of all that disgustingness has died off this is like the clean non-poisonous part that you can find under it it's sort of like the most dangerous fungus you can get and not die a a mushroom of this size from that location is worth about 500 gold pieces per bite and there is a very important technique to how you eat it where you have to peel black peel back the black layer on it And there's going to be like a neon blue part underneath that you're supposed to slurp up like very slowly. Jarzak performs the technique perfectly. As one does. So as everybody else looks at it like, well, I'm willing to try anything once. Jarzak with pinkies out just peels back a single like skin of black there. And as he goes to slurp it, you guys can see something writhing inside of it a little bit. I don't imagine Jarzak bats an eye at this, and as he slurps oh. up like a blue spaghetti strand from inside, yeah, it tastes kind of like the smell of rotten wood, but just very savory, as if like a very salty kind of like umami steak, but just very dirty and cold. <laughs> but you know, it's is certainly something. And as evening comes to a comes to a close here, the entire structure begins to shake, and stuff on the walls and on the table begin to shake around as well. And with this, it kind of comes to mind that perhaps this is something to do with the sundering spire. So, what would you guys like to do? Uh, Norhill would like to be shown to where the telescopes are, so that he can see what's going on. 
Okay. Um, and so as you guys hurry your way to uh, what could probably be the best vantage point, they tell you that they don't have telescopes here, and that would have to be at Bolt's Crag itself. But they offer you like a hand like telescope, like an actual like spyglass. And as they give you guys each spyglasses here from a vantage point up above the estate that you guys are staying in, you guys all begin to peer down at the Sundering Spire. And what you see is very upsetting. Uh, you guys see, from what you can tell, like tons of, like maybe four dozen uh I mean, it's hard to tell because it's more of like a gray cloud of them, but you guys can see more of those iron soldier guys like climbing up the spire. And as they like keep climbing up it, you can see their arms and their legs and their torso slowly like calcifying into that iron kind of looking like texture before they just kind of like sink into it and just become another bit of like bumpy texture on the thing. And as it happens, the structure continues to kind of like rise up and grow out of the ground as if whatever you can't see at the base of it must be just like more and more of them continually pushing into it and forcing it up. So it's pretty nightmarish to watch, but the only thing it can really remind you of is like termites climbing a mound. The click is just going to not watch walk off like sees it happening is like no could be good like you know what i didn't need this but okay um anybody have any important things to say about this wonderful view uh nope but nor nor hill is going to stoically watch until it stops oh what a hero um but in the uh Anton, day that follows oh sorry go ahead Anton's just disgusted by it it's just ruining like this was his home this all his area and he's like but he's like I freak he's just like he hopes he doesn't see this thing from glory week yeah no I'm sure glory week's fine I'm sure there's no glory week chapter of the tower I'm sure that wouldn't be a thing but you know what there's a whole plaque at the bottom that says that this wing was donated by the who gave their bodies and their lives for the uh, for the uh, McDonald's that's built inside of the uh, base of the uh, Sundering Spire Mini Mall. Um, I can grab anyway. the telescope real quick. Oh my god, is that a Chili's to go? Oh you know, God. we might have to go down there. Turns out that was the plan for the uh, Herald of Steel. He's like, I'm going to just become the fucking monopoly in this place. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sad. Um, What's the name anyway. of the, the, the an airline club you have to get in with the uh, black card or whatever? At airports? I don't know. The oh, Lounge. The Chase Lounge? Yeah. Is that what it is? Is it? Right next to the chilies to go. It's like, oh my god, is that the and a chase lounge? They got a quiz nose. <laughs> Can't find those anymore. Like. It's like I don't even. It's not that I like quiz nose. It's just like, where am I gonna find another quiz nose? Is that a Blimpies? They have two sub shops in the same. What else could they have to justify the lack of variety? Oh my god, <laughs> but... guys, guys, guys. They got a dip and dot stall. 
We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta oh, go. Sold. Okay, the whole gang just jumps out the window, <laughs> begin <laughs> just sliding down the face of the mountain. Zooms the in. quest for dots. And it's and it's it's not at amusement park prices. It's at retail. It's at retail, guys. <laughs> they have a membership with bulk purchases. <laughs> That's funny. So anyway, that doesn't happen. But what does happen is the day that follows, they provide intel. They uh, tell you guys that um, uh, what they've been able to scout with the uh, rudimentary technology that they have is it did, in fact, move to the Sunderspine Mountains. Unfortunately, it is on the outskirts of the Thalvir, the lands of Thalvir, of the Elvenwood there. And it's right outside of a very little-known barony, just outside of Amroth's Reach. Uh, it's not really, like, well accepted to be a major part of Amroth. And the barony itself is really an extension. Denvilboro, uh, by comparison, is also, as well a barony but mainly because of its size and its autonomy. But this place is really just like very much so on the outskirts and sort of its own separate group here, but it's the barony of Solthide. So Solthide is from what you guys know from just like off the top of your head, pretty much everything I told you, but anybody who has history could probably learn a little bit more about it. Oh, what about nature? No, you got the mushroom roll. We didn't get the roll history on the mushrooms. One second. Appreciate the mushroom. You got a doggy bag. You got a five on that history check. Okay. I mean, you know it's a human settlement. Gonna get a ten from Kleka. You know it's a human settlement. Uh It's outside of elven lands. And they actually have sort of a reasonable relationship with elves. Oh, shit. It's all got a 23 on history. Apparently, being from Gloryway gives you quite a good insight into uh, into the barony. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, the Baron Fej uh, is is a a guy who is pretty decently respected in your neck of the woods out there. Again, he's south of Glorywake, but he does more business and more dealings with the elves. So the people of that area are able to trade a lot of the materials that elves wouldn't be able to get within the in the Thalvir wood so what you get is this very interesting sort of like economic swap where they're able to get elvish goods and trade them to the humans who come from the roads of Dustwind, but they themselves are still because of their human race and being outside the woods are in fact like still part of Amroth so from what you know about the place, it's tiny. It's just like a series of tons and tons of villages and little, you know, forests in the, the uh, outstretch here. And there's tons of little mining communities as well. So it's basically like, I don't want to say it, like super rural Austrian or German settlement where there's just like tons of little tiny enclosed villas with like castle walls or fortress walls. And they do dealings with the elves just because it makes sense economically speaking. So, yeah. That makes sense. But unfortunately, what they have to tell you about that place is that um, the reason they could tell that it must have gone that way is because they decided to look towards the highest peak of the uh, the uh, mountains there, the Sunderspine Mountains, and when they were looking around and looked at the villages below, 
they saw a lot of smoke reeling into the skies and just kind of put two and two together that that must be where they would be headed, if not where they already are, as there appears to be something of a frozen peak um, in the uh, mountains itself. The uh, frozen peak itself is called Stone's Reach. And yeah, it's just right about the barony. So I guess they kind of just deduced that that must be where it would be, if anywhere, based on all the context clues, you know, assuming that a giant mobile goblin army is likely going to need food and a place of habitation and that barony being kind of squished by the Iron Maelstrom and probably receiving just as much help as Glory Wake, they're probably shit out of luck as well. So it seems like the perfect place for people to come in and step on people's necks. So I guess to put it lightly, if the party's goal is to find the blood and essence of the white dragon, which the uh, gnomes have named Eindindereth, uh, looks like we're going to have to go to the barony of Sulthide. All right, we have our destination. So I suppose the question now is, are we going to head back to the gnomes in Enton to the council and tell them what you found before heading out? Or did you want to try to get your leg up on this, try to head to Dustwind and make your way south to the Sunderspine Mountains? I mean, isn't Dustwind kind of like being besieged by the Iron Maelstrom at this point? Yeah, it's just the best kind of stopping point on the way there. There's actually a road that leads directly from Dustwind all the way to uh, Sultide. Um, yeah, it's but... kind of hard to see because the map we have isn't that high resolution, but we kind of have to go back to Enton anyway, unless we're going to cross through the Arcaritos Mountains. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to zoom in on that little map. Especially if you save it. Yeah, I, I, uh, no, I see what Anthony means. It yeah, the resolution is a little hard. Zooming. All right, all right, motherfuckers. Do you know how hard it is to make a goddamn no, map of this it, it looks like so no. We things? doubling back to Enton would add. Like if we went directly south, we'd hit the main road to Dustwind. I just don't see the point From of going Goggle back to Glenn. Enton. I just feel like mm-hmm. we're on this quest. We do have. We do have Auk, we do have Yigkalith, we do have both Caracol and Margay, we do have the council. Uh, there are many people there who might want to know what your next leg of the journey is, and perhaps what to do next with your, like, stuff. You know what I mean? When to go, where to go. And not to mention, there is also the Iron Maelstrom, which apparently has taken over much of the land, and a major highway like that is probably going to be in use and not by citizens and civilians. You know what I mean? So this this trip is going to be very complicated. So, yeah, right, them too. Um, But, uh, so I don't know. I'm not saying that there's any one right choice. I guess my question just is what you guys would like to do next. Go up to Bolt, Craig, and pet the Kieran. Yeah, I, I will say this much. From the way that sunburst thing sounded... I think the Kieran may have gone home. And I think it may have gone home in pieces. Or a bag. It sounds just like la 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 la. I didn't hear anything. 
go pet the pieces of the Kirin, then? They're still probably soft. Yeah. The would like to enter and confer with the council. Yeah, I, I feel bad leaving Kick to Click there, so. Oh, yeah. We should probably head back and grab him. Let Auk and you cows know where we're headed. And maybe Marga and Caracol will join us if they decide to send some armed troops. Could you imagine just like the, the dynamics of the 10 person party? Just this giant cluster of all these strange weirdos <laughs> just traveling down the road. But I don't know. We've played large parties before and they've been a pretty molly bunch. Yeah, sounds great. So in that case, what do what do Jarzak and Anton think? Yeah, sounds good. We'll go let them know. I'm asking. <laughs> okay, go to. Okay, that's. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Sounds good. Which part? Um, but what about Anton, Ronnie? Do you do you feel that way, or does Anton feel that way? Ronnie? I think Anton agrees. Okay. Yeah, Fair enough. Because I, I think he's I think he's just he just sees this and he hopes to have a way to do it but just knowing that like <laughs> there might be something going on with with the Illuminator that he's not aware of like knowing, trying not to accept the reality that something might have happened to Kiran and that he's not having the best like connection with his faith mm-hmm. I think he has to I think he has to kind of like really swallow whatever kind of pride he has and try to rely on the help of others so yeah he's like we should double back for some guidance okay so with that the uh, wonderfully hospitable gnomes of Goggle Glint bid, bid you guys farewell and uh, hearing of your plans to go back to Enton and inevitably from what you've heard, uh, or at least what they heard of your plans of traveling over to Soulside, um, they offer you guys sort of a parting gift and offer four potions of invisibility as well as four potions of curing wounds. And they just suggest that it's not much but being sort of the alchemical like epicenter of the region, they just have this sort of thing at you know this, that they can dispense with, and they figure you'll make a lot better use of it than anybody else. Is a potion of cure wounds the cure wound spell, or just a greater healing potion? Why? What do they call the basic healing potion? Just healing potion? Yeah. That's the 2d4 plus 2, and then the yeah. greater is 4d4 plus 4. Yeah, we'll say it's that one. The 4d4 plus 4, the greater healing potion. Taking one of those. Easy peasy. And so, they bid you guys farewell. You hop in your wagon and trek your, bay, your way back home for a couple of days, back to Enton, suffering through early spring rain the entire way. Uh, at no point does the party get stuck but it's definitely a very, very depressing feeling. The grayscape, 
the browned grounds and you guys can see that the greens are starting to really poke through on each of like, you know, the tree branches and the bushes and all this stuff, but still with so much gray and darkness and so much wet, cold, dreary, windy behavior, it's kind of miserable being out here. But once you arrive back in Enton, um, you guys get word that the uh, bandits from the uh, roads to the West pretty much gone. And that there hasn't been a peep from any of that stuff ever since then, almost in a kind of spooky way. Uh, you also catch a uh, word that there have been more and more of the iron maelstrom strikes on the western areas, kind of close to where you guys were actually. But that the riders have been skirting them as per usual, and it's been working out pretty well. Apparently, the Gnomish Council have been working on sort of a super mega illusion spell to hide the city of Enton the best that they can if the need should arise, but it's very experimental and it might actually end up looking like a winter scene of the city because they didn't update the program of their spell. So naturally the illusion that they'll pop up when the army shows up is going to be like snowfall and snowmen everywhere. And they're going to be like, Oh no, they did a reverse Russia. They did snowed earth policy. Turn back. Yeah, no, you see, the, the, the gnomes know that it's a bad idea to you know, start a land invasion of a area during the winter time, so they make an illusion of winter. All right, they just hired the fell thistle to make it winter right now. <laughs> like, even if we don't win, we'll make it very fucking inconvenient for them. But, um, okay. So uh, I guess with that in mind, who did we want to stop and talk to in Enton while we've got the time for it? Well, Norhill's definitely going to confer with the Dwarven Council, make sure everything is uh, sorted before he heads out on his next adventure. Very well. They tell you you're not allowed to leave. Oh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, best, best roll up a new character. Like, what does that mean? I'm like, not sure. It means that I won't be leaving. Norhill just looks up at the sky, just sees his star just boop off into obscurity, into the realm that all the other NPCs are in. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. That's so sad. But, okay. One. So, uh, and who else would... Uh, I don't know. Is it so? I yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You pretty much just stay with the dwarves for a couple of days as you pack up your belongings. Yeah. How, and prep how long yourself are we going to gonna be in town? It's up to you. You tell me. Well, you just said a couple days, so yeah, that makes sense for Norhill at least to want a couple days to be able to rest, recount, plan, and then prepare. Maybe see his family. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I figure a couple days to yeah, schedule a couple hours and yeah. hold the kid with like, pencil. Like, man. yes, child. Oh, yes. This is my like, son. that's all the time. A, a lifetime of parenting into this two year old's life, real quick. Just really just be like, I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike. Like, he can't walk. He's going to ride a bike. <laughs> like, you don't even know how to ride a bike. We're going to learn together. <laughs> My father never taught me, Anton says. I mean, Norhill says, glaring at his dad. <laughs> Jeez. 
Uh, I think Ark is just wiping away a single tear. Like it's beautiful, so beautiful. Gliga would like to uh, track down an artist, like a portrait artist, sure. uh, and try and get everybody, like the whole gang, together to get a portrait commissioned of all of us. It's going to be very difficult with Norhill spending so much time with his son. Yeah, just sort of like trying to work the schedule out. But like, yeah, it would be Klika, Norhill, Jarzak, um, Anton, Auk, Yikalith, Margo, Margay, Caracol, okay. uh, Kick the Click. Yeah, even um, the old dude from the council. <laughs> he just wanders oh, by. Yeah, well, he just wanders by and just stands there. <laughs> so st- standing for a portrait does give you plenty of time to talk. Yeah. But yeah, Clicken will yeah, try and get a nice portrait commissioned of everybody. Okay. The uh, artist warns you that all he does are cartoonish caricatures, and thus it's going to Clicker be... Clicken kills the artist. Theory. strikes him down where he stands she will not suffer the caricaturist to live we only use airbrushes here so it's just just walks in (laughs) and just sees a bunch of t-shirts with giant heads on them it says Orlando on the bottom of them yeah the fuck is going on here burns the shop down (laughs) and so with that the the, uh, illustrator here the painter tells you that they'll get the rough sketch get all the details they need to and and try their best with the time that they're given to be able to create a piece of such magnitude um and they ask you what your idea would be to title this piece as they want to know basically what to call you guys uh norhill has no idea i assume dwarven portraits are always just the year and the name of the subject (laughs) This tree. Also, list list the subjects from uh, middle out. So I thought we were. I thought we were the heroes of Amaro. I feel like that's like a that's like an fu in the face of the hairless deal. (laughs) Didn't we come up with names for our party at one point? I had a good one I liked, but I'm never gonna find it at this point. Yeah, we're just title it when it's done. The Dark Gauntlet. Yeah, well, (laughs) title pending, everyone. And the guy's like, well, let's hope we all make it that long. And everybody's like, oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Suddenly, everyone realizes why Cleek is getting this portrait made. The guy's already writing in memory of on the back. Yeah. Just picking and choosing, like, you're not going to make it. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Like, why is this guy venturing caskets? Yeah. It was a two-for-one um, deal. I couldn't pass up on that. Caracol and Margay standing on each other's shoulders, filling out one human-sized one. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's good so thinking. Sad. That'll save us. <laughs> That'll save Klika a bit. Jarzak buried with his fishing rod. They're like, look, we get it. You liked fishing. Can you stop? <laughs> like, he gets that salt life fucking sticker on the front of the casket. Yeah. 
woman want me nice. fish fear me carved into his tombstone <laughs> it's got like the fishing hook and the deer antler heart shape on it now uh Anywho, Norhill, okay. do you want to be buried with your family well what does that mean <laughs> Oh, we've got we've got, a, we've got a three for one with the Assassins Guild to make so you know it's a real family deal. It's the family bundle. Oh boy, um, that's dark. It's so many layers of dark. But you know what? Okay, did Jorzak have anybody he had to say goodbye to? Any last jobs he had to do? Nope. Has the wave race nope. returned? Um, well, it depends how long you're going to stay. I mean, the few days we're there. Okay. So, I mean, judging by that and how long you guys have been here and when you sent him off, um, the time you guys, uh, get back and before you leave on your, your journey here, Lucky Dog actually manages to get back in time. Apparently the seas have been very uh, fortunate and you guys are able to, they are able to get back. Uh, yeah, I'd say probably on the last day you're here, if you stay like two or three days. Um, but the Lucky Dog specifically comes looking for you and he comes to you with a very strange look on his face as if somewhere in the middle of like, I have bad news to tell you, but I'm also very eager because something good has happened to me. But basically, he comes to you and tells you that the captain has left and that he is now uh, underwater, as they call it. And he's begun his journey to the depths and said that the one last request that he had before gifting the ship over to the Lucky Dog himself to become Captain Lucky Dog of the vessel, the Wave Wraith, is he said that whatever the will of Jarzak be with the vessel, that the Lucky Dog will always honor the request. And whatever it is that you ever need for the sea vessel to travel, that you are basically, he's supposed to answer your any request. And that... Um, basically to empty the treasury and the riches of the captain in order to become an Enton land, like uh, an Enton based ship. So basically he doesn't have to work another day in his life, but he's basically contractually obliged to sit here and wait for you to come back and be like, I need a ride. (laughs) Take me there. So basically, he won the fucking lottery, but now he has to drive you around wherever you want to go whenever you show up. Make him play. So, like, he's a millionaire, but he's also shackled to you. Make him paint flame decals and a racing stripe on it. Also, put a spoiler on it. No, no I'm not going to do any of that. But, uh. Okay, well, that's mighty nice of the captain. Do you know. Do you know where he went? Or is he he, just wandering down there? He reluctantly says that he doesn't really know that the captain knows where he's going, (sighs) but said that the entire trip out to Bonebreak, he was just like constantly singing in Elvish and looked like he was trying to remember something the entire while. So whatever it might be that he was singing seemed like sort of like an Elvish sort of sing-song riddle that he was trying to piece together where the location might be. But every time questioned about this and asked 
if he actually knew where he was going, he basically just said he was going to follow his heart or he would die trying. Amen. And that's about when the zombie shark ate him. <laughs> that's really sad. Well, I guess you got to do what you got to do for love. The gods speed to the captain. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, the first mate does make it a point to get Jarzak by his lonesome to tell him this. And when he breaks the news to him, basically of his, I don't want to say like his employment now to Jarzak, but he says for all intents and purposes, he's captain of the Wave Wraith. But on the books and more importantly, how it goes, Jarzak is master of the craft and thus he is free to do as he pleases, and the crew is basically under his thumb at that point, too. Ah, he said so that... I have a ship now. And a crew. I'm so powerful. <laughs> Lucky dog. You know, you brought me great luck this day. Uh, he looks but, very sad. Also, <laughs> if it comes down to it, uh, don't don't die because you're parked here. If you need to leave uh, in order to survive, do it. I can't have my whole crew dying on me. Very well. And he just kind of gives a very unpleasant, very knowing nod. And he reluctantly stands up and says, for whatever it's worth, I think it'll be an honor serving you and your companions. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. So, I suppose now the only person left to talk about is uh, Anton. Did Anton have any things he wanted to do before we go? Well, Jarzak, as he walks away. Oh, sorry. Just gonna. No, Anton really didn't have anything. Uh, Jarzak, as he walks away from that conversation, is just gonna like kind of whisper to himself from Dolphin Boy to the owner of the ship, I am the greatest of all. Dolphin Man. (laughs) Yeah. This day I become Dolphin God. (laughs) Cap Dolphin. Dolph Tan. So we're getting there. Oh, good. All right, and then Anton, uh, however, seems to be the only one who has very little to say and probably sits very thoughtfully watching sunrises and sunsets and appreciating the rain after having met Ira and come so close to what may be his heritage and his bloodline. But recognizing this, the dwarves uh, upon the party's leaving, um, they come together and offer Anton many gifts that the children have given to, uh, to Anton in particular, and many of them have taken their hand at baking and making mud pies and things like that, and in very childish ways making small parchmented cards saying thank you, as they're all very well aware of how many meals they were offered on the road, and in the most pleasant way possible that this could be regarded among the dwarves, you are now hailed as a saint among dwarves. Being a human, you can't be given any sort of a heroic status, but you're an honorable person <laughs> and you are now given sainthood among the dwarves as the one who fed the mud pies on their exodus from the halls. 
And from here on out, the children now know you as Saint Anton, and the dwarves all respect you as a living saint. Selfless, caring, kind, and apparently really fucking depressed and alone. You know, so <laughs> for what it's worth, one child hands you over a necklace. The child itself seems to be with a much older dwarf. So this child being like maybe six or seven years old oh. approaches you with like super old, old lady dwarf. And the dwarf, little dwarf kiddo here hands you, this kid's really more like a mop of hair with a nose poking through it and just walks over to you and hands you a small golden locket in its crumpled up little dirty hand and says um, that, I don't know, she loves you. The little child loves you and says that you're the best. And thank you for all the cakes and the pies. And once she hands it over, the grandma kind of shoulders the kid away and like tufts her away to go play with the other kiddos. And the grandma approaches and says, I know it's not much and I'd rather not have an argument about this. But if I can give you anything of thanks for saving her and for saving us, please take the locket. If not for its value, just as a reminder of what you're fighting for and what we're all fighting for here. Her parents are both gone and I tend to her as best I can. I'm not even related to her at all. And in fact, she just happened to live in the same building as me in the halls. And I took it upon myself to help raise her. But you gave her more than a fighting chance. You gave her what you gave all of us. And that is a good bit of hope. She obviously doesn't remember it, but I still remember being down there in the mines and I remember you and the horn and pushing everybody onward for one last hurrah. And even though Norhill is Lord of the Halls, no one will forget the name of St. Anton and the hope that he preserves. And then they just say, blessings be the light. May you always walk within it. And she gives a very embarrassed little wave and tries to hurry away before he can stop her. I, I accept her embarrassment. I let her hurry away. Which is very and humble. Embarrassedly this. hurries away too. Thank you. He wants to cry, but he can't. Call some to cross. Saints don't cry. Saint Anton's, Saint Anton's one flaw. He cannot tell a cry. Um, but yeah. And I will say, because Anton has been such a loner for a lot of this, I hope this is kind of like a centering experience for him where even though he feels so alone here and feels like Glory Wake is so far away that looking down at the lantern that you have with you pretty much everywhere you go, I mean, perhaps you do walk in the light everywhere you go. And being revered now as a saint among the dwarves, that's got to feel kind of interesting. He doesn't feel he deserves it. Uh, he okay. just felt he was doing Very his good. job. <laughs> you know what? We take it away. You don't get the sainthood, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, at like what point will Anton feel like he people. deserves it? What? At what point will Anton feel like he's deserved it, though? Because I, I feel like after so long a time has passed since that combat down there, having the opportunity now to kind of like be away from it and like look back on it like you really did let out the rallying cry that really helped at the last push and kind of got the dwarves to, you know, I don't, oh, I don't want to say you guys couldn't have won without him, but like 
you know, it was a very momentous moment for them, you know, seeing you guys arrive, but having you kind of rally them together, it was pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, and not to I mention, think he's, I think he's happy about setting the example of like helping people when you need to, no matter how bleak it seems, but just the idea of sainthood, he's just like, he doesn't think he's deserving of something that honorable. He just did what he had to do to help them survive. And he's like, just, you know, because I think he worries that that just gives us such a sense of like, it makes him more than human. And he's always just been human. He's been so human. He's like an orphan, doesn't even know what family. She really knows the church and how to help people, the really basic down to earth, like nitty gritty things. And sainthood just seems so lofty that he's like, you should be able to do these things and it's okay to be normal and be human and not have to like be revered as something amazing. Like it shouldn't have to be like that. That makes sense. So. That's kind of how he's thinking of it. Gosh, the humility. Um, yeah. So I will. I'll the humility of a saint. No saint ever wanted to be revered as a saint. No, I'm just sure. afraid because the next step is he'd be a martyr, and that means he's dead. Oh, Jesus. Okay, well, let's talk a freaking twist real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, here's off with uh, Anton's next leg of the oh, quest. What saints the are, martyr are, quest. Are all saints martyrs? Are no. all saints martyrs? I have to look to this shit. Look it up. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> this is just the title that they gave you. Again, it's not been... I mean, I, well, what I was going to say is that I think now that, like, the group of dwarves giving their final goodbye to leave, I imagine Norhill was here kind of seeing the spectacle of the procession of individuals giving you gifts and thanks and everything. I think Norhill probably arrives at some point to talk to you once the, the din settles down. And I mean, Norhill, most heroic dwarves are given the title of being, you know, heroes in the hall, getting statues, being commemorated in imagery and whatnot, but, like, Anton being given sort of like a colloquial title of of being a saint. I mean, this hasn't happened in your lifetime and you haven't heard of too many people ever being given such an honor, but it makes sense. Or at least maybe it does, maybe it doesn't to Norhill, but how does Norhill accept this? Yeah, and Norhill will walk up after the procession has you know died down you know, with a couple of fancier drinks uh, and sit down uh, beside Anton and say, Congratulations, Saint Anton the Baker. How does it feel? Uh, if, you, if you live rather, to see such recognition for their good deeds. I'd rather just be the baker. I'm Saint sorry? Hood, sainthood is a... I feel it's a dangerous thing. I'd rather just be the... Just Anton. Nothing more. Just someone who can help. The idea of being loftier than others just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. You want to help people no matter what who you are and what your title is in life, especially if you have no title. Uh, Norhill sort of uh, cocks an eyebrow at that. Perhaps great deeds are not meant for everyone, but those who do achieve such things uh, deserve recognition in their names and song uh, for generations to come. It's a, it's a recognition for toil. 
Uh, it's it's recognition for everything that you've set out to accomplish. I mean, for what it's worth. I mean, I was just going to, I'm sorry. Hope is sense, then that is all I care for. I was going to say, I mean, though Anton was first recognized for his valor in the battle and the rallying, I mean, what he's really known for is like, being awake first, going to sleep last, making sure everybody's dish was filled, using his own essence and power and strength of will to conjure food for everybody. Like, Anton's being recognized for his life's pledge of charity and generosity and caringness. So, like, for what it's worth, I mean, even though you said you don't want to be known as a martyr or whatever, I mean, you're a saint of charity. Like, you're known for your valor in combat, but... Again, the children recognize you as the person who fed them when they were hungry and tucked them in when they were cold. Like, Anton's known for looking past the fact that they're dwarves and just seeing children and seeing old people and people without homes and took care of each and every one of them as if they were members of her own or his own party. So, you know, I get what you're saying about not wanting to be held at a loftier standard, but it just shows that, you know, never once did you lose yourself in your charity and you're being recognized for your pious actions, so... For whatever it's worth. Yeah, that's not bothering him. What's bothering him is his power itself and other things that it does, like kills a lot of people. That's the other part you can't really. It's true. He's having a hard time. That's definitely. Right a, <laughs> definitely well, an you're not the saint up. of fiery murder yet. So <laughs> not yet. That, 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 that's, that's, that's what the orcs are going to saint you for. Um, but oh God, no. maybe it's oh different God. for a short, uh, all due respect, a more short-lived race like yours, where greatness is seldom recognized in the lifetime of the great. But the things that you've done for me and my people uh, shall never be forgotten. And I never want to hear you say that what you've done for us wasn't great ever again. That's a lordly decree. Just give him a nod. Ponders. Just hold him in contempt. Lock him up. Well, I told you not to disagree, you son of a bitch. But <laughs> yeah, as uh, so that's how Anton uh, became the convict. And, uh, and, and Norhill <laughs> lifts up the fancy drink uh, that he bought. Uh, uh, me, uh, meets An- Anton's eyes. Uh, for the great acts of heroism now and in the future. Anton just sits there quietly staring back, not at all returning the favor, be like, I should have not a murder. <laughs> By no, the way, the fancy drink is... Nod. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think the fancy like... drink is, is really just like beer with an olive in it. Like Norhill is just the Hank Hill of dwarves and just like plunked a single olive in there and be like, ooh, spicy. It's, it, it's an olive with like a little umbrella stuck in it. It just it's very sank to the bottom. <laughs> um, Anton, Klika knows what it's like to be given a title you don't really understand or think fits you, but. Clicka does think you've done 
a lot of good for a lot of people. So Cleek is happy that others recognize that. And Cleek is going to give uh, Anton a hug. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Jarza a- Cruz. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, that's all. I uh, didn't expect it to be a character thing for a Norhill to help people come to terms with the, the titles that people are giving them. Mm. I mean, let's mention Norhill's a fucking lord of the two halls now. Like, I, think about him accepting that title and just being like, I'm just running this shit, aren't I? Meanwhile, Jarzak's on a boat, just like cruising by on the coast. I'm like, hey, guys! I put a spoiler on it. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just three a, points of wood all nailed together. It's not even it's not even the wave wraith anymore. He's spray painted on the side, too wicked, just like from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> He's like, it's sick. But anyway, oh Jarzang. But um, yeah. And so I guess my last questions before we wrap up our wonderful episode here. Um, what's the plans for travel? If you guys would like to, you could drop off a, a chunk of change and get uh, quite a battery of trail rations as you plan your trip. But it looks like the major courses of action you could have for travel. Um, you could either try to take the main roads just to Dustwind and over to Soltide that way hoping that maybe you don't run into a ton of conflict on the way, or you could try to take a rougher path, avoiding all major roads and pretty much doubling the length of your trip. Or you could try to like kind of skirt around busy areas and take main roads as much as you can. So it might be worth it to, so follow the main road from Enton for a while before turning southwest, uh, skirting Dustwind entirely and keeping the, uh, the, mount- the mountains to our left uh, until okay. we turn back north to the road again. Okay, so just giving a, a wide berth to a Dustwind and then kind of following the road the rest of the way, hoping that the road wouldn't be very uh, well-traveled or well-used? Yeah, basically. Uh, the Norhill really doesn't want to run into the main bulk of the Iron Maelstrom in this area. And he somehow doubts that the army of barely sentient automatons are going to have an easy time through the rougher terrain. Yeah, not particularly. So uh, what I'll say is this. If you guys would like to, uh, you guys could get a carriage or you could ride on horses, like individual mounts. What do you think would be your most ideal riding situation as a party? If we're not sticking to the roads for the most part, then individual mounts are going to actually let us travel faster than a carriage. Okay. So is it going to be a troop of horses and one dog? I guess so. Sounds okay. good. And then did you guys want to try to get a carriage or another horse to carry uh, packs with your rations? Because... The trip to Solside, or at least like the majority of the way there, is looking like traveling on the road will probably be somewhere around uh, two weeks or a 10 day if you guys are like breakneck speeds. So it's looking like 40 rations for the party at bare minimum. Yeah, a pack horse is probably going to be better for the same reasons. 
Um, okay. Try to bring our, a wagon or a cart or something, just have it get stuck in the mud. Are we leaving Auk, Yakalith, and Kick to Click in town then? Good question for the party. Kick to Click, it's probably better if he comes with us. Auk and Yakalith, Norhill would say that it's their choice. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Uh, Every time we come back, Kick the Click has just more title belts. (laughs) And it's getting further and further into his luchador persona. Championship rings. What the hell is going on here? (laughs) I was like, that's not even the same sport. Why? What what was Jarzak going to say? I don't know if you were going to say something. I don't know. Fair enough. Does Anton have any opinions on the matter? No. I think he just wants everyone who can stay safe to stay safe. Fair enough. So, um, after explaining your course of action and your plans, Yigkelis takes over the uh, action and the conversation here, and she replies to you guys that she is not allowing Ak to come with you and would not suggest going as well. And basically says that from what she's learned of everything you guys know and everything you've told her is that her position is very valuable to an army besieged, an army that could potentially have to find a way to make it without you guys. And she basically says that she's worth more alive here with Auk as her counterpart than following you guys as another, you know, set of hands in combat. It basically says, even though she would love to take part in potentially slaying a dragon and would love to go down in the annals of history as a dragon slayer herself, this is a fight she needs to stay home for. And says that Auk, even though he's so helpful as a merchant, which I don't know if you guys knew this, but Auk is a merchant. Yeah, yeah. Which is hilarious. You have mentioned that. Because he's to earn money playing stones to start up his business selling uh stones so the thing is uh <laughs> that he's not going and yigkalath very reluctantly says she won't either caracol and margay gave the same pretty much thing but says they're part of the military like they're part of the guard now and they couldn't leave if they wanted to it would basically be you know uh, mutiny or whatever. Morhill would have actually like, stopped them. And so the only person left would be Kick. And Kick basically, from what Yigkalath and Ock have to say, or at least what Yigkalath has to say, that Yigkalath sees Kick the Click as being very powerful, but such a fish out of water that he's basically a goldfish in a bowl. Like, we've left the ocean, and now he has found a comfortable little residence where the dwarves respect him. He can earn his keep, being a soldier, being a warrior, and all that other jazz. But they also suggest that, like, he's a goldfish. Like, you can't take him out and, and hope he's going to do well traveling the road. And Yigkalath is, is essentially telling you guys your place with him and says he's more than willing to stay here if you guys don't tell him where you're going. Yeah, I mean, we could also just order him that his job's now to protect this town. True. Um, and it's 
guys, it's not like Kit can't, can't talk to people. They'll just talk in their minds. Uh, so it's not like it's just me and Kleka, but I don't, I don't want to see the guy get hurt. Yeah, yeah. Kleka just wanted to make sure that he found a place where he could be at home, where he found his Korbok. And if it looks like he found that here, then we he doesn't have to keep following us. Kleka's happy that Kick is better now. And so Yggdalath basically says that if Jarzak hadn't mentioned that Yggdalath and Ark and the dwarves weren't part of his like clan, then he would just have followed you guys out of there, like you know, puppy dog following you guys. But yep. because Jarzak established that like everybody here is family, and this tight knit group and this whole structure, the settlement is his family now, he's kind of already in protective mode. So it's one of those feelings when you guys are like watching your babies leave the nest here and you're like, but Kick needs us. And you're like, actually, Kick does fine here as he like <laughs> drops another four-quartered Nelson on a dwarf in the uh, Luchador match there. Like, it, he's found a place where he's actually kind of comfortable in his own little home standing. And Yigalith basically looks at it like now she has to babysit two fucking idiots. But, you know, that aside, she's like, well, they're idiots who can fight. And I'll take that any day of the week. Um, so oh, like, that's nice. Klika just wants to say before she goes, are Margo and Caracol here too? Or did we talk to them? Okay. Um, no, they're giving a send off as well. If we don't make it back, it'll be up to one of you guys to title the portrait. So you, you'll you have to do a rock, paper, scissors contest for it. Um, Kick, you, excitedly you could... raises her hand to begin. Caracol slowly lowers it without even looking at her. Uh, kick the click. You can only use one arm at a time. Well, if you're going to put the other arm into one arm, you can use two. But you can't shoot twice. I feel like somebody's going to get clipped by a pincer and it's not going to end well. Just a He's nice always scissors. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> he, just, he just shoots with two hands but doesn't change it, just does double scissors. It's like, why? Why did you do this? Like, it was paper. But, okay. So as far as uh, purchasing mounts, gear, the bridling, the water, and the new horse and everything... It's going to cost you guys about 200 gold in order to shore up all the resources for the traveling equipment. Is Klika's dog still around? The yeah, one that she, yeah. she's been using? All right. Can Klika officially purchase that as hers? I mean, for what it's worth, it was just one of the trained dogs that were used for courier's work, but... I mean, you can have it. The captain of the Keldro's not willing to like have you pay for it. Basically, it's government property, and now that you're basically a government agent working to preserve the lands, he basically says it was yours to begin with. And by it, I mean the dog. This this poor dog. She's that a apparently good girl. doesn't have a name. It's a girl. Okay, very good. So, okay. And so with that, on a very uh, sunny afternoon, uh, as the sort of uh, lessening of the moisture that comes along with spring on a nice sunny day that baking all the mud and drying it all out, uh, the party leaves with tears and eyes 
under a very somber sort of a celebration as the dwarves wave goodbye for nearly a mile on the way outside of Enton and its limits. Uh, people came from all over just to say goodbye and see you guys in your last trip, uh, waving you guys uh, signs of good luck as you head on your way to the mountains, off to Solthide, and hopefully to find Eindindrith the White Dragon. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.